Do not open this door. I had to say it anyway because it doesn't make sense in the movie. And then I got on top and I spit into his mouth. Well, it doesn't ruin my story. It just it just makes it a conversation rather than a story. Perhaps a little drunk <laughs> no. from from the day's festivities. I would love to meet the woman who likes it. Oh, I freaking thought the moon landing. I, I love the moon landing from the standpoint of I believe in the moon landing. Let me tell you what this is all about, Joseph. This is our uh, one of our cheat episodes. We're, at, uh, we're over 200 episodes now, right? Yep. And we have our thing where every 100 episodes we grant ourselves a cheat day. Since the sort of crowning, um, what do you want the uh, conceit? That's the word I was looking for, man. It's crowning might be, conceit might not be a great name, or like one of the primary conceits of this podcast is we don't go past the year 1980 with our films. We keep it old, but because it's a cheat day, we're moving. I'm trying. We're moving into um, past the year 1980 and to uh, talk about some movies that we want to talk about that are post 1980. You take on a very adorable um, tenor in your voice when you when you get serious and explain things. Let me tell you something, Joe. <laughs> your voice rises at the end of say, and this is what we're doing, and uh, it's really adorable, man. I like it. Aww. So so okay so yeah because we pine for this in a way it's yeah, like we it's... love the fact that we have the stringent pre 1980 or before you know classification for classics right. But, my God, it just leaves out a lot of movies we'd love to talk about, and we restrain ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but but let's be honest. Like, no two months are strung together where one of us doesn't go, but what about? And then we just don't do it. Because it's, it's past the 1980. Past 1980, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again. And, and we did this one time before, and I think what we did last time, we'll, we'll do a little differently this time, is we each brought two movies, and we did this me- mega episode of right. four movies. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do, we're going to splice the part one and part two. And so the first one is, is you, Tom, picking your two movies after 1980. Now, I remember last time, by the way, one of the movies you picked was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which I don't begrudge you. It's a great one to talk about. And this makes no sense at all. But for some reason, I don't, I think if we go past 1980, going to like 1982 or three, it feels like a waste, even though it's totally not a waste at all. It's still a movie we would have skipped oh, before. Yeah, we would never have gotten But near, my yeah. mind somehow does this trick yeah, where it's like, sure. it needs to be at least 10 years after. <laughs> like, let's really spend our, our money wisely on this one or whatever it is. Right, right. But, but and anyway, I get that, I get that impulse, but. Because uh, the one movie I wanted to talk about forever is True Confessions, which is like 1982. You love that movie. I think I've seen it once. But yeah. I am a huge fan of that movie. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's good. I mean, come on. I mean, it's got maybe one of the greatest actors of all time and maybe one of my favorite actors of all I'd time. I'd say two of the greatest actors of all yeah, time. Yeah, it's hard and to say because Robert Duvall is such a fucking... Oh, he's so the Gene Hackman of the Dagos. Okay, okay, okay. I like it. And I was going to honestly... I honestly had thought of The Apostle for this. Oh, that would have been an interesting one to talk about. Such a great movie. I want to say this, but and don't reveal my choices for next week, but I would say we chose four movies that didn't... There's not a ha, not a tee-hee. <laughs> there's not a, a ho-ho-ho Oh, to I don't know. Had. I think my first one's hilarious, my friend. Well, actually, no, come to think of it, the second one is, is pretty... It's got some great funny moments. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah no, you're right about that. Of course. Of course you're right first about that. one. Well, let me tell you. It's a joy, right? But, like, he's such a fucking great actor. Because I, I thought of The Apostle. I had also thought about oh, Tender... Oh, Robert Duvall. Yeah, I'd also thought about Tender Mercy. And it. I've never seen that movie. No, nor have I. Uh, I would, we, So we're going to... Ah, fuck, man. Now we've got to wait another... A year or something. Uh, yeah, or whatever our time. Yeah, well, it'll become sooner and sooner. But yeah. All right, so obviously, as Tom said, the, the idea is that these are post-1980 movies we're doing. Mm-hmm. They could be brand new movies, could be movies that are just 10 years old. Yeah. Something we just never have a chance to talk about. But we, I guess the idea also is... And we kind of try to... I think I was trying to, and I think you too, you particularly, yeah. we're trying to make them kind of not obvious necessarily. Right. And, and the other <coughs> thing is, what's different about these is because... When we do pre-1980 and before movies, they're kind of classic by default. They're part of a studio system. They're older, et cetera. Yeah, but yeah. we're not really 
uh, factoring in quality when we say classic in, in the usual sense because no. we've done some real dogs. Yeah. But when we do something on a cheat day, it almost has to be something that we think is because it's newer, so it doesn't qualify as old and classic. That we think is classic because of its quality. I'm, I'm, yeah. These are episodes where we you're kind of guaranteed these are movies that at least one of us really likes. Oh yeah, 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 and maybe you should have gotten an Oscar if that's any any quality, any measurement, an any measure of quality anymore. Oh, I don't my even mind know. Is blown now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well now I really want well, to talk about that. I mean, one. but but you know, I'm almost intrigued. Like, wonder, do you? Uh, how about? Let me ask you this question: Can you ask name away. Th- what's three movies you didn't pick for this that but that were in contention? I'll tell you mine. I'll tell you two right away off the top of my head. But I mean, they might be for the next one: City of God. I really want to do Fuck. that one at some point. Fuck. How you going to make me watch that fucking thing? You don't like City of I God? I love City of it's God, crazy. but it's so brutal. It's... Okay. Keep... <laughs> okay. Not like um, these other ones. And then 1988's Frantic, which is Roman Polanski. It's got oh, Harrison yeah. Ford. Okay. I love that movie. Okay. Uh, I can't think of a third one under pressure. I'll come up with one later maybe. Under but pressure. What, what other two have you thought about? I really thought about Hereditary. I've never seen that. Okay. And Get Out. I've never seen that. Or oh, actually anything by Peel. A real challenge of... to yourself. You, <laughs> Tom, you've got a reptile microphone function at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's a couple there that... Uh, <laughs> Tom was talking. I'm not naturally attracted to the horror genre by any stretch of the imagination normally. Yeah, okay. But these two I've heard so much about. There's another one called Mother, I think. It's like Korean yeah. or something like that. That's rough. Those are movies... What was the first one you said? Hereditary. Yeah, not so much hereditary. I, I, it, my wife was blown away by it. I, I didn't think it was that amazing. Like the first third is really interesting. After mm-hmm. that, but the other two you mentioned have a Kubrick quality to them. And here's what I mean by Kubrick quality, because it's just how I always treat Kubrick. It's a movie you can watch. You need to watch 97 times to keep picking <laughs> away at what something meant. Got it. Okay. And, and I, those are good choices. I think Jordan Peele is definitely good for that. I was gonna say Jordan Peterson also good for that. I guess Jordan Peele. Uh, not as <laughs> well, much, but okay. Blue review a Jordan Peterson movie. Um, <laughs> Two white guys have an opinion about Jordan Peterson. Imagine that. <laughs> Listen, buckle. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I, but I thought these were um, interesting choices, and good choices. The other one, of course, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, that. Uh, I thought you might do that one. I was, came close. Yeah. About it. And again, there's nothing. But again, trying to avoid the obvious, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit. And, and, and at the same time, because the second one you chose is a little more obvious, but I never had a problem with it. So it's like, yeah, you can't you get to me. It's like something that has a, it's worth something that hasn't been talked about a lot. And I would say of the four choices we've made over these two episodes, upcoming episodes, the, the second one of yours has been talked about the most. But I still think you and I can talk about it in totally different ways. <laughs> the movie practically made for us. Yeah, we'll get to that. OK. All right. So let's start with our first one, which is 2006's Children of God. Nope. Children of Men. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> City of Men. No, Children of Men. You said it with such confidence. I know. Too. What an asshole. Children of God. Children, children like of a lesser men god. My God, it's people. Yeah. No, uh, Children of Men. Yeah, Children Fucking of Men. Fucking great movie. I, I think there's a controversy, certainly with one of our fans, uh, we've, about like, you know, what qualifies as science fiction and this is no no genuinely and i think no, this that's is our controversy not one of our oh are you considering me a fan of you because no, I, well, this was the alec guinness episode like episode six where we had the big fight about what um science fiction means but i will go ahead what you, no one of our listeners is your brother yeah, he, he never he's he will not let this this point go. But mm-hmm. like the, the, there is an ambiguity to science fiction. But this is not only like a very clear science fiction movie, <gasps> but I would call it one of the best You're science fiction movies of twenty because last you twenty years. Convinced me to take your definition of science fiction, and as I was watching this, I was thinking, well, okay, I'm going to go with Tom's definition. This clearly is not science fiction, but it is something. It is dystopian. Mm-hmm. Although dystopian, wouldn't you say dystopian? I always think of it this one, and probably not defining it very well. I always think of dystopian as broken utopia. No, I don't think so. I think dystopian is just it's broken. Just, okay, so so to me, it's dystopian it's, in any case, yeah. however you define it. Sure. But but I don't see the science part of it. Using your own definition, where's the science in this? Well, the, 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 so the question, okay, so the, the conceit of the story is... We're back in the, our original argument. But I'm right, and you're wrong. So, Conceit, yes. Okay, so it is that um, at some point in the near future, 
Uh, humanity, 2027. Yeah, tw- very near future. Uh, humanity has gone for 20 years without being able to make a new child. Yep, 18. Yep. Right. So that's created this system where, uh, again, no children. Um, no, it's, it's, it's that thing where it sort of illustrates what would humanity look like if you took away the concept of hope. Like, it's just fucking gone suddenly. Yeah. yeah. And this is what happens. And it's clearly a dystopian, as you say. Yeah. Uh, sort of a future here. But... But again, it's the same thing. You take away, you take away the like the. It, but again, science fiction kind of at its best it takes a like a concept from out of science, typically, but sometimes it's technology, and it like experiments with how humans would react. But what's the scientific concept? I don't. I, there's I'm no not, kids. I mean, it's right there. It's not a scientific concept. It's not biology. Oh, okay. So just biology is is just like because well, it's not the I when I. When I revisited the conversation we had before about about you you posited it back then as like a scientific um, uh, innovation, it, okay, right? it frequently so, appears yeah, as that. all of humanity, all of the biosphere is science, <coughs> and so in that sense, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if a race of people died off, I guess it would be science fiction by virtue of it happening to something that is adjacent to science, but oh, not also part maybe of the your dream, process. but yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> No, I'm just curious because so, yeah. I, I did this whole turnaround to, to I thought, support your idea of science fiction. And now I feel like we're at the same argument. Well, again. that's why I think this might be one of <laughs> one of the better examples of a science fiction because it isn't, you know, technology comes along and improves it. Now, it, it doesn't have any place be, in this story, actually. Uh, what's that? It doesn't have any place in the story. Technology. Uh, not, uh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. It's yeah. really, it's about like sort of a very, it's a more fundamental question. That's the thing yeah. about science fiction is that it's it's aiming at a human concept inside of a difference. It's just, it's the okay. speculative fiction thing. It just yeah. gets weird at some point. But it also, it's hard to define as fuck. And by the way, science fiction does <clears throat> never, um, it's it's not a dichotomy. When you have science fiction, it doesn't erase humanity, humanity as uh, the humanities as a concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, oftentimes, it's it's a good gateway into an exploration of humanities. But this one, I At would say, best, yeah. I would say, going with your current so, sort of definition of science, or what I understand to be your yeah, current yeah, yeah. definition of science fiction, um, it's definitely really mostly a door opener because it really is that second thing you said, like like what if there were no music or no yeah. art or in this case mm-hmm. no hope be, because there's no ch- there are no children. Right. So like Logan's Run might be a very poor example in most respects of a movie, but right. you know the concept of uh, not allowing people to live over the age of thirty, you know something like that. Yeah, but that's that's what's interesting as I was thinking about it because there there are so many um, uh, whatever you want to call it dystopian science fiction whatever films where it's like overpopulation and it's like yeah. this is the opposite like what happens and and, well, and the one, one the... that this is like is um the handmaid's tale it is yeah. has this as a bit of, of the premise of like what happens when people are no longer able to have children what will they what extremes will they go to right well and in this case i think it's um hold on ah, fuck. come come back thought come back um it's also that son of a bitch i can't remember let me just talk then because i think that <laughs> i'm doing you a favor <laughs> because i think that that either um, there's too much order, mm-hmm. and that, that, of course, creates chaos. Or in the case of this film, it's this constant struggle between chaos and, and too much order. Right. Well, that too much order being the only answer anybody can come up with against the size of the chaos that they're facing. And, and so I, I got my thought back here. One of the things that makes this movie, I think, very extraordinary for me is it takes, doesn't take a minute to try to figure out why. That's not even a question. That's not that's not an important question in the course of this movie. Yeah. It's it haunts the background of it. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. But there's no there's no actual answer for it, which yep. I think I got I'm, I'm I'm getting very burned out on the fucking origin story of every goddamn thing. I think 28 days later would be a greater would be a much better movie if it didn't show that first 5 minutes. Mm. of the monkeys of the rage virus it's just suddenly this guy wakes up and boom you're in yeah. the middle of it I think that's much more interesting yeah well and this this takes that course because I think Kuran the director is fucking I mean he's kind of a modern genius in a lot of ways okay so uh, you vote okay your honor uh, the the defendant uh, the defense attorney I just, has I'm wearing opened, a black shirt that's scary has, has opened the door okay so I now I gotta I was gonna wait on this stuff because here's my assessment of the movie it is really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Like I actually really was on the on the edge of my seat numerous times, and so it's a movie that is 
Um, really enjoyable, despite on paper being not good in many, many ways. And so one of the ways like that I want to talk about, two things that you kind of brought up for me. One is, you're right, it doesn't do the origin story, but it's some of, I wouldn't say some of the worst writing, but it's bad exposition writing. Like, the first 30 minutes are like, how long has it been since X happened? I haven't heard of that since Y and Z has happened. Yeah. And it's just, it's just like spoon feeding you the facts around the context of the situation they're in except for the one thing you mentioned which is i think is good yeah that's to its its strength um clive owen is fantastic he does a really good job i think most some of, of the, the actors acting are is very good bad. some of it's bad but some of it's julian moore is horrible yeah she's not she's and not michael Caine, it's no, it's really no use saying he was bad because it's like well it's michael Caine. <laughs> it's, first he's off, sometimes it, great sometimes horrible it's michael Caine, and he's basically playing a cartoon in a sense. But it's the writing that gives the cartoonish thing all the time. It's like, and and, and then that's the, the third thing I was going to say was, I think what it does deal with, it does a little ham-fisted in this sense. It's like, what would the world be like? It'd be chaos and too much order. Okay, fair enough. I'm, I'm interested. But some of the chaos, or particularly the order, was ham-fisted. It's like, now we really hate immigrants. Now we hate this. And it's like, oh, the worst you know, Republican Party fears have come true. And it's like, I'm not even saying that wouldn't happen. But it, it just seemed a little too on the nose the way it's like. I think Handmaid's Tale does this a little bit too. And I, it's great writing. It's good. You know, I got it. And so... I, my thing is, I think the director, I think you're right about it because director and also Clive Owens, baby, they had me on the edge of my seat that I remembered as soon as it happened, that, that, that car, um, that wouldn't start going down the hill, just being like, come on, come on, you know, get going. (laughs) Um, um, the war stuff, um, it's like a dream like quality going through different buildings and popping in and out. I mean, it's kind of a documentary and a, like a one shot. Well, it's, it's one of the first movies I remember having that thing where someone gets shot and then there's blood splatter on the camera. And they're yeah. just like, yep, let's just move along with it. That's even more effective. So so it's like I had a lot of problems with this movie, but it was handled well in the other areas so well. Mm-hmm. I, in the end, I feel like it's like it's like criti- criti- negatively criticizing Star Wars or something. It's like, yeah, whatever. Those things didn't work. But enough of this other stuff worked that I was on a roller coaster ride. I enjoyed it. I still I think there's that one scene where like the baby uh, yeah, spoiler. The baby is born, and there's a firefight going on around it, and they walk out, and everybody's just like, "Fuck, what is that?" Yeah. Like, that's one of my favorite scenes. Really? I've seen it a lot. That movie, mm-hmm. that that scene really sort of spoke to me. But I'm going to say one of the things I think. So what's interesting is what you're calling perhaps a sin. I'm calling kind of the virtue because I think it's actually sort of part of that same whole of the things that they're not taking time to over-explain. Okay, so they're not explaining why. Bear with me. They're not explaining why uh, women or men. I, I don't even know if they clearly say which which of the sexes is family. Obviously, yeah, well, of course, yeah. yeah. Well, they're running their mouth. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, uh, why they're why some why one end of the circle or both is infertile. They don't they don't they don't approach that. But I think they also don't delve very deeply into the larger global picture. It's a very short amount of data they give on that. You know, so it's I've I've literally had to I've literally. What do you uh, mean by data? Oh, so go ahead. Well, I mean they give like like one news flash to the rest of the world, but uh, but what's it British Britain soldiers on or what something. was the Orwellian thing, right? It's yeah, sort of yeah, like yeah. let's let's right. pretend everyone else is is doing poorly, and, <coughs> and we're about to do poorly if we let those immigrants in, et cetera. Right, but but, but yeah. I think in doing that, I don't think they emphasized enough how much the rest of the world has gone to fuck, and so. The sort of the, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the jingoism, the hatred of what's that? That's the strength. I agree with you because it's it's it, rather than than trying to sort of spread out the problem, it's not knowing, having an inclination that the world must be doing as badly as England is, but not knowing and only seeing that it's bad in in England and that they are propagandizing. Yeah. toward England is is a strength. I agree. Well, but but then at the same time, so 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 what we're talking about is literally hordes of people coming from the rest of the world to get to England because it's one of the few places that still have has a shit together. And so what their response is, whatever shit together means, right? Because they're well, they're yeah. getting. But that's right. what I mean. Also, like, it felt like, like on the heels two thousand six on the heels of 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 um, Bush Junior. It was a little too like well, here's Guantanamo. Yeah, here's you know. It's one of those things where when you're trying, I think when you're when you're when you're sort of going down this artistic path, you're yeah. just gonna be. You're at some point, you're just gonna hit a bit of a cliche at some point. 
Well, yeah, but I think they were they were uh, structuring it. I don't think it was like they stumbled onto the cliche. I think that was they were trying. It's like Avatar, it, it, you know, which I I didn't think was a great movie even though I understood the entertainment value, because it was sort of like, oh, they're destroying the rainforest. Oh, they're colonizing. Yeah, we get it. We get yeah. the It's allegory was the mm-hmm. problem. I say problem, even though I praise the movie. I mean, it, I, it's to me, it's not quality. This is the giant conversation. It's less quality and more just thrilling. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. But if you, if, you, if you pull out your jeweler's loop and look too closely, <sighs> I do think there are some problems with allegory, like too much attention to allegory. Okay. Allegory is hard to pull off. Yeah, it is. But when, I think one of the things I think that, that I love about this is kind of the visual storytelling going yeah. on. I think Quaron's a fucking genius. What else has he done? Um, I think he did uh, that uh, the the uh, the grizzly bear one with uh, fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he did that one. Oh, as the, well. Re- the Revenant. I think you're right, Revenant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, just like there's oh, this. Yeah. Okay, so he's off. You know, he's uh, so Clive Owen's visiting his cousin at that guy's super wealthy mansion thing where they're a, he's part of a process that's trying to save art yep. from across the world. And there's a broken statue of David mm-hmm. in the middle of this guy's room, mm-hmm. which tells you everything you need to know about Italy. Uh-huh. That's kind of, that's fucking amazing. That's a beautiful minimalism huh. way of pointing how fucked Italy was. Because they, they had to salvage, like, a, you know, one of the great art pieces of the world. And yeah. it's fucked up. It's kind of broken did, leg. I, I got a Siskel Ebert you on this one. It was one of the weaker areas because it's like Guernica's in his front room. It just felt a little too like this guy. You go to the guy who's like surviving it well, who's like the hoarder or the whatever, well, not hoarder, um, whatever you call that when people hoard things during war. The hell is that called? Anyway, um, the guy who has fifty gallons of gas when no one else yeah, can get yeah. rations, and it's like he's—it's David with a broken ankles in there. It's like, yeah, I get that, but then it's like Guernica's on his wall. And it's like, mm-hmm. He has all the treasures of the world. I mean, come on. Well, man. and the outside of his house looks exactly like a Pink Floyd album cover. So that's fucking that's brilliant. Like, oh, I forgot to mention that. That was kind of brilliant. And it's—and <laughs> and that to your point earlier, it's—it's—it's the—it's the cover of Animals. It's unmentioned. Yeah. And so that I agree with you. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, this, yeah, it's, it's, this is. Uh, I just, I kind of love this movie. And like I said, I yeah. think it's one of the best science fiction movies that's come out in like the last ten or twenty years. I haven't seen all of them, so maybe I'm wrong about that. This is one of the top. <sighs> I mean, again, I don't want to go down that road too fit, quickly, uh, too much, and and it's not to debate you, but just because I had reconceptualized based on your <laughs> what I thought was your definition. Let's just um, let me ask you this then: Blade Runner, the, the original, science fiction or no? Oh yeah, science fiction. So it, again, it's one that doesn't have any any science aspects to it. No. It's just okay. So it really is futuristic. Is is maybe a good synonym at times for science fiction? Right. Futuristic or dystopian. They, if it doesn't have a science, uh, innovative quality to it, then we can also look toward those two paths, if you will, dystopian right. and future. There's a really interesting. Um, the, it was yeah, if you ever heard of Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Okay. So um, he's written a bunch of books, but he did a foreword for Fahrenheit 451. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. in the beginning, I want to get you a copy of that, just, just this part of it. But in the beginning of the essay, oh, he's talking about this weird ambiguity of what actually defines science fiction. Ah. He does a really good job of sort of breaking it down. All right. I get that to you. Yeah. And, and I think we said it 50 times, but Clive Owen, if, if anything we can agree on, engaging actor. I haven't seen him in much I, else, but he's I great. kind of love Clive Owen. I, I'm one of, he's kind of one of my guilty pleasures. Like I think one of my favorite Clive Owen movies is a movie that I thought about briefly for this. Yeah, it's just what is it? Uh, fucking uh, shootout? No, uh, mm-hmm. shootout. I haven't heard of it. I, it's, it's it's this dumb uh, like gun porn movie with him and Paul Giamatti. He's um, like a perpetually hungover um, John Cusack. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because I, I like John Cusack until I don't like him. Yeah. And and Clive Owen is like uh, um, sufficiently grumpy just to sort of curmudgeonly to keep my interest in him. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy, I don't know how old he is, but he's probably in his 50s. <laughs> That's what he looks like. Then. Yeah. So he's yeah, probably yeah, in his 60s now. Yeah, yeah he's just, he just looks grumbly. Who he knows, looks like he though? grumbles a lot. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. You know, another movie I was thinking about, and again, I guess this would fall into this kind of science fiction, is The Truman Show. And I don't want to say that this is a like a parallel to The Truman Show, but it has parallel qualities to it, I suppose. How so? Well, it's Ooh, shot on film, expand. 
and there's there are actors. Um, uh, I was afraid you were going to ask me. Well, there, the, for some reason, let me just say without an explanation, just a feeling. The initial exposition, which is one of the exposition moments that I actually was like, okay, this is necessary. Mm-hmm. Where it's like Gabriel, the world's youngest child, eighteen years old, and the world is like watching and mourning. Yeah. It felt like how in the Truman Show, everyone sort of watched this guy and mourned and loved mm-hmm. his. You know, they lived. It, it's it's um. What the fuck do you call that when you living through someone else's experience? What the fuck is that? Uh, 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 uh. Shut, shut up! Shut up! Making noises. Uh, uh, Goddamn! It's uh, no, the word. It's I, a rough night. I, I'm going to make a board. It's it's a Casparius experience. Mm, Casparianism. What the fuck is that? That's crazy. You got you vicarious. Vicariously Casparius. Not not bad. Close for made board. Yeah. Well, I mean, yours was a Roman senator. <laughs> Good old Mine was a Roman porn star. Vicarious is coming from vicarious experience, mm-hmm. but the vi- the vicarious experience is also watching other people have a vicarious experience, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, the sadness in but, this case. But okay, but so here's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I think this is an interesting interesting point. Perhaps maybe mm-hmm. I'm out of my mind. I might be reading too much into could it. Could be, could be. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in both of those cases, you're also you're inviting an audience into an alien world in a sense. Mm-hmm. So by using a tool like that, maybe you're creating a shared yeah. concept. No, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's interesting because I think that... that Don't you'll, pretend like you thought you'll, of it. No, no. Here's, it rings true to me immediately because you'll see this with the films I chose when you watch them. They have they seem on the surface to be nothing alike, but there's a weird after I chose them, I recognize mm-hmm. this, a weird sort of thread. And I'm going to say there's a weird thread in what you just said in the next film. The meta, the meta, oh, yeah. the okay, meta quality, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Are, well, I mean, now I got to point this out. There's a sense, there's a social experimentation quality to the second film that invites comparison to science fiction. It's oh, not, but it invites okay. that. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Are we done with the Children of Men? Got anything else? Are we ever done with Children of Men? I, I don't mean that like almost literally I, as well. If I if I am going to summarize, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it this way, and you tell me if I'm wrong. I'm going to say it's a three-star movie, and you're going to say it's a four-star movie. I'm going to say it's a three and a half. Okay. Yeah. It's, I, I have watched that movie like four or five times, and I like, I've, mm. never, I've never not liked it. This was my it. second time. And, I, and by the way, <laughs> I will say this. I can't imagine, as long as I don't overwatch it too often, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that I won't like it every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, these, this was me looking, as, as a critic, I might look at things and go, like, eh, yeah, if, I, if I were the director, I don't, these are the things. Mm-hmm. But... Overall, I, I'm with you. It's, it's very enjoyable. Yeah, beautiful movie. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about... Um, second choice. The second choice. The juice. This is... Do you remember what year? It's 2019, right? I don't forget. Oh, fuck, I don't remember. I'm going to say 2019. Uh, let's it is. That. You know what? It's 2019. Yep. Okay. What is it? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Go ahead. Okay, let's go. Let's hear it. I... I I almost hesitated to choose this movie mm-hmm. because it's hard to imagine a movie more sort of made for us. Yeah, in many ways. In yeah, many ways, I'll agree with you. A lot of the point of this podcast is sort of played out in this movie, in a sense. When you just take the environment. Yeah. Just the Hollywood environment. Now, another one, what was the one? Um, ah, fuck. It's the other one where the, the kid is um, selling waterbeds. Oh, uh, Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. It's similar quality in that it's there's a serious homage to classic Hollywood. Yeah, well, uh, Anderson in that, if you keep fingering that um, uh, <laughs> mic, it's going to drive all the listeners crazy. Um, Anderson, I feel one thing I like about him is he is epic. He studied. He's just like great filmmaker. Hmm. and But he changes a lot. It's not like, unlike Scorsese, who has basically one major mode and then occasionally does like a different movie, or Tarantino, yeah. who I think does a lot of, he's very inventive, but like he kind of has a track that he's on. Yeah. Um, well, he is his own world, too. Yeah, right. Oh, no, totally. And it's not, that's not a lack of inventiveness. But, but Anderson with Licorice Pizza, I thought was kind of doing a Tarantino in a way with, with Licorice Pizza. Yeah, it's okay. got the lattice work. It's got the the, mm-hmm. the strange, strange sort well, of and ability. The quality to, of homage. It's very distinctly a Tarantino quality. Yeah, well, and there's, there's no more homage movie than this. This is like him sort of taking all the homage that he's done in the past and just bringing it into absolute focus. Right, in and at the same time, sort of continuing on his track. You know, yeah. I, we've talked about this before. I want to say maybe two podcasts ago, but you know, my take on him as the uh, sort of the director of. Um, 
revision? No, well, not no, not really catharsis, really, mm. as much as anything else. He does his revision historically, oh, right. yeah, yeah. but he do it, but he does it as a sort of a, an act of catharsis. Yeah, and I really, I really kind of like that about this movie the most. Oh, well, see, I, that's interesting. Uh, I, um, is this movie when I think about? I mean, the obvious example of catharsis is Inglorious Bastards, right? That's like obvious, the right. most well, cathar- okay. well, Django, and, perhaps. I was going right? to say, and Django. Okay, right? okay, so Django and, and Inglorious Bastards. So I don't think this measures up to those in terms of catharsis. No, but it does. And again, this is that sort of meta. Well, let's let's talk about what is the movie about first off. Do we give it? Are we giving this away? Yeah, no. It's, I don't think this is. That's that's another thing that's great about Tarantino is there. You can't really give a Tarantino movie away yeah. because it's it's the way it's all that the it's played out, not pieces. what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big plate of sushi, but it's all the little pieces that are. I also want to say this. Delicious. With there's, I like almost every Tarantino movie. There's one I really don't like. I hate a lot. Hatefully? Yeah, I just, it's just so bad. It's a bad movie. And there's one I just don't have any interest in seeing, but I'll see at some point. It's the, it's the one he, where he did the, he and Nugget, another director, did a kind of homage to a lady has got like a His b- is the bazooka on her too. leg or something. Yeah. Okay, but the thing with Tarantino movies is I know that I'm going to pretty much like them. Yeah. But this happens almost every time I revisit a Tarantino movie because after Pulp Fiction, you remember when we saw Pulp Fiction at theaters and like I, I know I went back three times in the like theater. High as a kite, we did that once. One time, but yeah. but but uh, uh, yeah. I mean that's I learned quickly with Tarantino and and also with with Scorsese. Dude, you can't watch them three times in a year. You have to discipline yourself to not watch it for like three or four years. Oh but, yeah, you, uh, yeah, but you know you, the temptations there, right? Okay. So as a result, what happens is when I get distance from these movies, I oftentimes forget how much I like them. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, a movie yeah. goes up and down on my list. So to me, this movie has for a while since it came out been kind of in the middle of Tarantino movies. Not at the bottom, okay. not at the top. It's still not at the top for me. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you that. What is your top? Uh, it's probably Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Pulp Fiction's in there and, and it's hard for me to tell whether that's just n- the nostalgia of that's the first one that popped that I saw in the theater well I gotta share that with you because I'm gonna go with you on that one Pulp Fiction is my finest my best example of what exactly you're talking about which is if I give my time give myself time between yeah. viewings of Pulp Fiction back and, I'm reminded of how fucking great that movie it's incredible it's, it's such a good movie and I think it really, Jingle might be, be higher than this one too but I'm unsure Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I get it. Jackie yeah. Brown is always lower, but even Jackie Brown, when I go back, it's good. like it's fucking. That's a great movie. Yeah, what's, what's the one with Robert Rodriguez and uh, uh, where he's with uh, George it's Clooney? The grind. Oh, um, Dust Till Dawn. Dust Til- I don't even count that, but all uh-huh. right, yeah. Um, and then there's um, Reservoir Dogs, which again, give that some time. It's fucking, fucking amazing. Great but that's too. probably lower than this one too. So anyway, that that's okay. a kind of a dumb point I'm making, but it's like it's difficult for me to tell. Mm-hmm. And I forget, and even this one, I'd forgotten large chunks of the movie, which is easy to do because there are large chunks in Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah, and they're like little things that just he just stacks on little things. It's yeah. really great. Yeah, like yeah, I said, it's like lingers. Yeah, he's a lingerer. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, what, what do you what's that crazy the Spanish word for duende? Uh, no, I was going to call for uh, for like small amounts of food. Oh, tapas. Tapas, so, which is another, which means hungry. Hello. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He's both, got, there's a tapas. Both words would apply, by the way. Quality, yeah. Um, to the way he directs. And this one more than most, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we didn't even talk about Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. That's another one. Now, that was way lower on my list until I recently saw it again. Ah, oh, part two is better than part one, but they should be seen together. It's a six-hour movie as far as I'm concerned. I think it might be his best movie. Uh, I don't know. Put a gun to my brain. <laughs> that's what I mean. What it's is like, best even It's mean? either below on my list or it becomes like the, my second place. I, 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 he's he, just a... It's just a fucking joyful... I, I, smorgasbord watching his movies every time in a sense he's like uh, he's like the Coen brothers to me mm-hmm, even mm-hmm. when I don't like a movie which I didn't for uh, I, which I didn't for Inglorious Bastards in a long time mm-hmm. never regretted talking about it oh yeah I didn't regret seeing it and again I'm going to invoke Kubrick again he's like Kubrick in that you can just keep going back and study more yeah. obviously than Kubrick in a way Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I still, you could just keep going back and well, studying. And- yeah, because I don't know that subtlety is, is a Tarantino thing. Oh, I disagree. 
I disagree. I disagree. I just wish I could film you with that microphone going, hello, kid. I disagree. <laughs> well, because the thing, I, I think I feel like you and I were talking about this at dinner recently, but maybe maybe I was thinking, maybe it was someone else. Because with Tarantino, what people try to copy with Tarantino, oh, yeah, it yeah. was. It was me, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, what I don't like about American Psycho is like, it's like, oh, ironic. Yeah. And it's like, no, Tarantino's not being ironic. He's actually being as small and mundane as you can be in these moments, and he's going to linger until it, until he makes it exciting. Um, look, check out the big brain on Brad Royale with cheese is the is the perfect example. Yeah. Or before that, even with Reservoir Dogs, with like, um, how much do you tip a waitress, or right. should you tip a waitress? That's a 10-minute conversation. I remember not getting that the first time. I was like, what are they fucking doing? And but Because you're not used my, to that. Movies. And at the same time, my rage over not tipping was also building well, at the well, same there's time. There's that, right? But it's like, you know, and it's to me, it's like, pro, to, even though I think it's it's uh, failed in comparison, it's, it's what people loved about The Sopranos. It's like mm-hmm. The Sopranos had like, how do I ground my child and then go off to work and, and put somebody in wet cement? And it's like, I just think that the, the, the Sopranos didn't know how to sort of just be in the moment. It was yeah. still like a scenario they were pushing on you. Right. And, and Tarantino just, he just lingers. He'll just take that moment. And, and stretch it out. To, to that thing, you know, we, there was that thing, I think, um, it was a Radiolab episode one time. And it, uh, there was a segment with Christian Shaw. You know the Christian Shaw, the, the comedian? Yes, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was about about repeating a song about one. a horse. Yeah, yeah. And it was like the audience laughs and then they're mad at you and then 5 minutes later they're laughing even harder because they've because been with you're you on the still st- doing that fucking ridiculous thing <laughs> that wasn't really funny but you consist on doing it. And, so and there's great. something about Tarantino uh, like a ish hmm. about that sort of yeah. moment. And anyways, let's talk about this movie. So, okay. well, specific to the movie. Wow, we got a real jack going overhead. Uh, sorry guys, I lifted my leg. Uh. <laughs> okay, so, uh, but this fucking movie. So when I was talking about, okay, so um, it's uh, it's about the it's really about the friendship between this guy who's a stunt double for a guy who's an actor kind of sliding out of his out of his major popularity. Yeah, and one who trained. hadn't had it for very long. It's as if Clint Eastwood had done Rawhide in the late fifties and sixties, yeah. and then just made like a. Sp- Maybe a spaghetti western, and then just dropped off. Well, kind of hysterically, I think the, the parallels are mostly to Eastwood in that sense. Yeah, in a lot of senses. In this sure, movie. sure. Don't want to give too much away. And then their interaction. So, so Brad Pitt is is his stunt double, is which his... seems ridiculous, but but it's another Tarantino thing. Man, just, just to pull it off. This is just true, and you're going to accept it. And yeah. we go, yep, we accept it. Okay, right, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, no, they managed to pull that off. Although, you know, like, which one is the better looking is anybody's fucking guess. Although, I can I tell think you what my wife thinks. <laughs> I think increasingly Brad Pitt. I think. Increasingly, he takes off his shirt. My wife slips off the couch every time. I mean, it's it, he, he is, uh, I slip off the couch. My God, what a specimen. Yeah. He's 59 or something. Yeah. And so in this movie, he's like, I guess, 56 or 57. That's, Humphrey Bogart was 57 when he died. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Newman didn't keep it together as well as this guy kept it's, it together. I mean, but just facially, like even Leo's starting to get a little bloated. Yeah, there, oh you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is perfect for that role because he's sort of like this self-hating alcoholic oh, actor. He's such a fucking. Good he's man. great. The Brad scene Pitt where he's in his fucking trailer hating You're going to stop drinking. You're going to stop drinking. With a flask. And that, that was improvised. Like, what's oh, Tarantino it? made him do that. Like, he just gave him, these are the parameters. You're going to have a rage fit at yourself yeah. for not getting your lines right. Yeah. We're on the camera. Which is, by so the way, crazy. what happens when, he, when he's playing the bad guy on that TV series. Mm-hmm. Because in a way, that... I'm assuming homosexual director who's directing him as the guest star in that series. He's British anyways. Is... Being Tarantino-ish, and yeah. Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio is being that character off and on. Like you can't tell the difference between him, you know, being on set and him being in the trailer because it's kind of the same game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of what that's. God damn it! I never think a... of of Brad Pitt. I was thinking Brad. I've accepted him as a as a possibly great actor. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't strike me that way naturally, but he does in this movie. He does such good. He, well, he's done a couple of things that are tremendous, and you got to give him the credit for it. I he's a tremendous actor. Wrong. Uh, he's Revenant. Tremendous. I think he's Re- the, the Revenant. He genuinely did a great job. In that oh yeah, and yeah, some for other sure. Things. But for this sure. movie, like, but imagine how happy you would be yep. as an actor yep. to have that rage fit mm-hmm. about acting, and at the same time, you know, like 
mourning the loss of your career and the inevitability of that. Yeah. Such a fucking great... Like, as an actor, how could you not have adored that? And by the way... And maybe hated it a little. Whether it's Licorice Pizza or anything else, we're we're talking about masterful directors. Some of these directors, what's masterful (laughs) about them is you think, oh, there doesn't need to be an assistant director. Assistant director does all the, the, the street shots. Yeah. That's what this is like. Take a take a shot of this car roaming down the street in 1952. I, I don't think I think assistant director on a on a Anderson movie or a Tarantino movie has a the easiest job in the world because I think Tarantino they're, they're such control freaks. But my point is those shots that have to be under Tarantino's control, he does way more than other people do to take in the scope. I mean, you had to shut a freeway down numerous times to recreate. The 1969 freeway that's going on in Hollywood. Yeah, of course. I've yeah, never course. seen it with that much detail in a yeah. film before. Ah, so great. And the buildings and the, and it. When I remember hearing about this movie and and the the scuttlebutt, if you will, pardon my language, Tom, mm-hmm. was that Tarantino's. This is like four years ago. He, he's filming a movie that's about the Manson family and thinking like, well, that's interesting. And it was, and it wasn't. Kind of was it, yeah. Yeah. Well, so okay, so so the idea is that Cliff, that's the uh, Brad Pitt character. Yeah. Um, he he runs across the Manson family a couple of times. Yep. The the idea, and this is the and so this is re- so, <clears throat> the end of the movie is about the Tate LaBianca murders. Yep. Well, the Tate murders really, um, by the Manson family, and the fact that in the movie they what uh, DiCaprio's character lives down the hill from where that murder happened. Who's, and, the, who's and, the heiress, by the way? Sorry, that that was Folgers. Folgers heiress, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Mongo. So the uh, so 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 the thing about it is that basically. The hippies don't go to the right house. This yep. is a cathartic moment yep. of the movie. We get to see this this statement of what you know. It, what I loved about it is it being a, having a huge boner for history is watching that and going, but what would the seventies have looked like? Yeah, without the Manson, and that's the catharsis I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely, here. and it's also that the revisionist, but some of the revisionists, just like in Glorious Bastards, like this one thing happens in the basement of a bar in Germany yeah. during World War II, or this one thing happens. And it, by the way, it could have been this isn't a huge giveaway that one of the Manson people who goes to murder whoever they're going to murder chickens out. Yes. It, it literally could have been that that sent them to the wrong house. And it's like, it, it makes, that's what he's doing with history all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a good, okay. And, there, and there's so many, and the details, particularly inside of the Manson family, mm-hmm. the Spawn Ranch. Oh, yeah. The whole setup for that. Bruce Dern, always great, even in the minor role. Oh, as my a God. Sleeping asshole. <laughs> that's fucking, what's his name? Yeah. Yeah. Such, uh, oh, God damn, it's so great. Even so much as, the Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. that Sharon Tate went to mm-hmm. the night of the murder, yeah. still open. Yeah, and he just put it in the movie. Yeah, what a great fucking thing. Oh yeah, I love the one where first off Margot Robbie. God damn. Oh well, there's that famous. You're gonna mention the Can- the Cannes Film Festival thing. No, come on. So so when this came out, a reporter they were on the dais. You know the whole cast and Tarantino and Robbie and and um, this. Um, asked Ro- uh, Margot Robbie, you know, you're in this movie, but does it bother you that as one of the co-stars, you have a, um, f- ma- fewer lines than the male uh, co-stars? And and um, Tarantino just leaned over into her mic and said, I, I reject your hypothesis. <laughs> and that was just the end of it. And you know what? I reject that hypothesis too. And here's why. She does have fewer lines, no question yeah. about it. And by the way, she had to be fair. She's also not the veteran that those other two are. But putting that aside, her non lines are as good as any of the lines they have. Yeah. When she goes to the, the the Dean Martin movie, which by the way we should do a Matt Helms series. I've episode. never seen any of those. Oh, oh, Murderers Row, Matt Helm, Wrecking Crew. But Wrecking Crew is the one she's in, and it's I think it was her last movie. And and uh, she's she, the experience uh, again. No lines. She's just giggling, watching herself on the screen. She's great. Yes. Great, I tell you. No, she's... Uh, well, no, I'm going to agree with you 100%. I think mm-hmm. she is like... she's Yeah, she has very few lines, but she commands oh, the yeah. screen. She's fantastic. Hard in yeah. this fucking movie. And God damn it, she's one of the most beautiful women in the history of the world. Yeah, she's great looking, yeah, for sure. And by the way... And very the, talented and smart. The, yes. Mm-hmm. And the little, the little attention to details when... I forget the guy's name... Um, he was in uh, Band and Brother. Band oh, and yeah, fucking, yeah, uh, Major Winters. Major Winters. And he plays Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. He's fucking got Steve McQueen 
I mean, he's just too tall. That's the only thing. Yeah. He's got his look, his stare, everything. And then, of course, I'll let you talk about it. But when... Speaking, wait to talk. Speaking of Steve McQueen, when Leonardo DiCaprio is playing the bad guy on that set and the star of that whatever Western they're filming mm-hmm. talks to him, like, what roles did you miss out on? And Leonardo DiCaprio oh, talks Jesus about... Jesus Christ. So fucking hard. Great escape. About hilts and great escape. Yeah. And they superimpose his face on, and he does Steve McQueen's line. I, I honestly, when I was in the theater, I thought, did they make a movie for me? <laughs> I mean, it's just, how, what, what weird percentage of people am I in that, that totally understand what is happening there? Every once in a while, a, there's a use of CGI that yeah. you go, fuck. That's, okay, that's why it's great. Yes, there it is. God Hell, damn it. I cooler. fucking hate you. Oh, real is better. Yeah. Oh my God. Fuck. It was great. Yeah. That was so fucking good yeah I was so I, I if you had told me about that scene uh, I might never have seen the movie I kind of I'm with you I might I would, or I would have seen it but just been prepared to hate that scene but he it just everything. came out of left field and was tell me delightful th- is the word tell me if you think this is a is, is a reference because <laughs> Tarantino is. will drive you crazy and making you invent references he probably didn't even mean when when McQueen Whoever that actor is who plays Major Winners, we apologize. When he's when they're at the pool party and he's telling whatever girl is with him, you see that mm. Margot Robbie, you see that guy, um, uh, what's he, his name? He's waiting for her to get tired of what's his Roman name? Polanski. Polanski. And that it reminds me of um, Sweet Smell of Success. When when JJ Hunsucker is at the table and he goes, any square can see uh, that you are a beard for you, and the camera keeps panning back and forth between yeah. the three people he's talking about. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It might be. It's that's exactly the it's kind, the kind of, of shit thing I that like I, I would missed. expect from Tarantino, and it's such a good. Mazon told us this thing that seems really obvious, and, and and I've read other people, you know, comment on it. I feel it's stupid for missing it, but but when 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 we were talking with Steve Mazon, who has a great podcast, the Mazon Movie, Movie Club. Club um, he was mentioning in Glorious Bastards and how what, the final scene when Brad Pitt carves a swastika in Christopher Waltz's forehead, he says, this might be my masterpiece. And it's like he's talking about himself. Like this is his greatest achievement in film. And it's like, I look for those fucking... Sorry, man. The thing with Tarantino is the, his love of Easter eggs. Did, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. If you go back and watch Reservoir Dogs, yeah. mm-hmm. every time... All the characters are Mr. Orange, Mr. White. They have code names, right? Yep, so they right. don't know each other. Every t- The scene before one of them dies, there's a balloon that color that goes off into the distance in the background. I want to hate that so I, But much. I love but it. Yeah, I know. I, I want to hate it too, but it's oh. like, oh, he's so great. Well, that's the thing. I guess and this one, just... of course, I mean, part of it, sorry, I'll shut up. Part of it is, is exposition. I grant you, it's really mostly exposition, but still, the, the initial story at the beginning where like he was in the fourteen fifths of whatever some combat movie, yeah, and he had he had training on a, a flamethrower, flame and you fun. think like, oh, what an interesting thing, just like in Glorious Bastards with the nitrous film, the nitrate mm-hmm. film that 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 is um, flammable, it's yeah. always going to show up. It's Hitchcock's gun that has to go off. Or what's his name's uh, fucking show the pistol on the wall? You got to shoot it by the fourth act. The oh, third. isn't that Hitchcock? No, no, um, Chekhov. I think it's Chekhov's oh, gun. Oh, the Chekhov. Yeah, yeah. So it's so yeah, but of course. And you're like, the funny thing is, I remember watching that and thinking, oh yeah, the flamethrower is going to come in at some point, right? Yeah. And it was so fucking great when it did. Yeah. So amazing. Everything. Oh, has and the its violence place. towards women at the end was so cathartic because look who it was. Well, yeah, it was the I mean, Manson chicks. That's the thing too. Yeah, is that it's. It's easy to feel like that kind of violence toward these women at the end is like, I don't know how I feel about this. Except what you're talking about, the catharsis. Also, it's where Tarantino is hilarious because for some reason, you can't not laugh. No, it's funny. And you shouldn't be laughing, but you have to laugh. Because it's so crazy over it's the top. It's over the top crazy. <laughs> it's nutty. <laughs> it's so funny. I love, I, I'll oh, never. In a swimming pool getting hit by a flamethrower after having your face oh, bitten off. don't say too much. Don't say too much. Ah, the best. Yeah, it's, it's. Um, I, and then, and then, think about, but just think about this too, because I can talk about the seventies and what they would have looked like. But think about just the smaller impact, so Sharon Stone doesn't die. Sharon right. Stone, 
That lady crossed her legs one too many times for your good, apparently. (laughs) Okay. Doesn't die on Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Okay. No, it doesn't die. Okay. So maybe Roman Polanski never does that thing that we all know that he did. And he goes on to become the fucking amazing director he probably should have become. He was already a famous, great director. No, I know that. But, you know, he What's the thing that he did? Selling the photos, you mean? Or? Raping the 14-year-old thing. Oh, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, would that have happened? Like, all the, you know, sort of like a lot of imponderable what-ifs. Jaron uh, Tate uh, was on the way up. What if she'd gone up? If Tarantino made a film about that included Polanski's um, statutory rape of that 13-year-old in 1976 or 77, it would have included a side story about how she was interested in Catherine the Great as in writing a biography of her or something. Like, that's just what he does. He just yeah. sort of stops and makes you go, well, okay, we'll yeah. take this side road with Fuck. you, Quentin. So that movie is so... But like I said, it's so, like, it's just... Man, so many of our buttons are lined, just fucking lined up in this movie. Yeah. You know, it's that, again, that, 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 not, and not just Hollywood, but like in the larger sense, Hollywood of the 70s, the 60s and 70s is right there, you know? It's specific. It's, it's so researched and at the same time so improbable and absurd. I, I give you the, the thing that weirdly upsets some people, but when Brad Pitt has the fight with uh, Bruce Lee. <laughs> What? Why are people upset by that? Because it's a knock to Asian something. I don't know. It's it's missing the absurdity of that situation. Right. Given that, by the way, what everyone's upset about him for, I mean, in the movie, is that he harpooned his wife, which is such a great <laughs> scene because yeah. he doesn't. You never show him harpooning her. She's just nagging him, and he's got the gun. He's looking. The gun is pointed at her, and he's and they're looking in the middle at of the her ocean with poor trigger discipline. <laughs> Uh, yeah, fuck. no, this is a fantastic movie. And now, of course, the, the downside is I have to wait like three years at least to see it again to sort of have that like, oh, I forgot about that scene yeah. type of feeling. But it mm. is fantastic. I think the rumor has been for a while that that's his last movie. Now, will he be able to stick with it? Yeah, no, I think that is. He's uh, Well, no, I think he's got one more in the tank. I mm. think he said there might be one more. Uh, imagine if it's like uh, just a, a terrible, like a, a remake of Ishtar or something. The, the tarnishing that would take. Actually, Ishtar's not a horrible funny. movie, by the way. I've never seen it. But it's, you, okay. it's just probably overdone, yeah. I don't know. Maybe like have all the characters in all of his other movies just come together in one fucking... Yeah, like a review. A musical. Like like a Hollywood Canteen 1932 type of thing. Fuck, it's such a good movie. Yeah, it's... Tremendous. Again, I don't know that I would put it at the top. Although, last night I would have. After you know, As the credits were rolling, I would have said, this is definitely my favorite Canteen. But with a little bit of distance, 24 hours, it might be my third favorite, but... That's saying a lot with Tarantino, man. Yeah. That yeah, is yeah, saying yeah, a absolutely. lot. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. yeah. He's His fantastic. body work. I enjoy also the fact that the man is just, he's going to stop at 10 or 11 or whatever it is. He just, he was, I, I like movie, I like TV shows that end when they should end. And I think Tarantino has that quality too. He's never going to make Frenzy. That's all I'm saying. Never going to make what? He's never going to make Frenzy. Oh, yeah. Well, you I, don't know that. I mean, that's the thing uh, with Hitchcock is he just missed it, make, right? Like, please don't make Frenzy, bro. Family plot was pretty bad, too. It was getting pretty bad by Torn Curtain, actually. We're talking about uh, Hitchcock, obviously. Right. All right, anything else about this? I mean, we we could obviously talk more about this, but we should leave something on the table or off the table or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, again, this is, well, this Tarantino, again, that quality of, like, I never, even when I didn't like a movie, I never wanted to not talk about it. Yeah, so, yeah. it's it's pretty intense. He's pretty mm-hmm. great. Uh all, all right. All praise Tarantino. All right. Well, there we go. We're going to wrap it up here on Tom's but, okay, cheat so, day episode. Yes. Um, no, me, no, me, no. So I will say this about your cheat day choices. Even though I um, I didn't feel as strongly about the, or had some criticize, criticism about the first one, they're both definitely movies that are like, I enjoyed a lot, mm-hmm. even though obviously the second one more than the first. And I would say classics. Yeah, I Mod- so. Like, quote-unquote, modern-day classics. So, kudos, my and friend. And we're going to that one, too. Okay, so our next one's going to be your movie. Is, my, is Joe Finley's cheat day? So, oh, all right. Yeah. Thanks, Tommy. All right, bud. Thanks.